This week on Myths and Legends, it's the story of a boy with a dream to be the greatest wizard of all time and his boss, who really just wants him to get back to work and stop saying wizard so loud in medieval Italy. The creature this week is the reason why, no matter how lonely you are, you do not want to start dating that snake that you made in your basement. This is Myths and Legends, episode 137, Tailor Made. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. There's not too much to say about today's story. It's an Italian literary fairy tale, and it was written by Giovanni Francesco Straparola in 1555. He was the original writer of Puss in Boots, and a lot of his stories were eventually retold in Basile's Tale of Tales and by the Grimm Brothers. In the book, called The Facetious Knights of Straparola, is considered to be the first European book to contain fairy tales. Anyway, we'll get on with it. Set in the late Middle Ages in Sicily, Dionigi, the master tailor's apprentice, has a request of his boss. I want to learn magic, Dionigi announced to his tutor, Maestro Latentio. Maestro Latentio didn't even look up from his French seam. Yeah, didn't everybody. Now get back to work. Dionigi's dad wasn't paying literally his bottom dollar for Diogenia to sit here and annoy his teacher. Well, that wasn't entirely true. The annoyance came with the territory when it came to teaching, but the sooner the boy learned his trade from the master tailor, the sooner the boy would be out of here. No, but you're not a tailor. That's just a cover. You're a secret magician. Dionigi insisted. Master Latentio didn't respond. He finished up his seam, set the work down, took off his glasses, and looked at Dionigi. Look around, he told a student. Master Latentio had the oldest, most respected shop in Sicily. Did Dionigi know how his master got that shop? Because it wasn't magic, it was work. He put in the work under the maestro before him and became a master tailor. So no, it wasn't a cover. He was truly a master tailor. Also, the boy would be wise not to throw around the word magician in medieval Italy, or medieval anywhere, actually. It was a death sentence, and not a slow one. Maestro Latentio's suits may be magical, but that's only because he was talented. Now get back to work. There would be no more talk about this magician stuff. Turning, Maestro Latentio resumed his work. But it wasn't 20 seconds before Dionigi broke the silence again. That's cool, I... You're a really good tailor, by the way. Thanks for the opportunity. But I, uh, I found your necromancy room. And I saw you in it. Doing necromancy? It was a long five minutes of silence before the teacher finished his seam, removed his glasses again, and set the work down. Again. For such a smart kid, you're saying a lot of stupid things. First, if I did know magic, and you knew that I knew magic, what would be the easier option? teaching you how to do magic and risk exposing both of us? Or killing you, which would be super easy to do if I knew magic. <laughs> I just tell your dad you answered a call to adventure or something and just left. Kids are always doing that and never coming back. Dionigi looked at his feet, clearly in thought. So, so you're not going to teach me magic then? What? No, I thought you were supposed to be smart, kid. 
Latentio couldn't believe that this kid didn't pick up on any of the subtext, his threatening overtones. No, I'm not going to teach you, he clarified. And if you ask me again, I'll turn you into a worm. You'll spend the rest of your very short natural life drying out on the sidewalk. But I won't, because I don't know magic. With that, Maestro Latentio rose, declaring that he was done for the day. His apprentice, who was apparently very smart, could finish his master's work and his own. Latentio's daughter entered the room with a tray of cold water and drinking glasses, but she saw the look on her father's face and stepped silently away. Dionigi was careful to look at the floor whenever she was around, per Latentio's rules. Maestro Latentio tossed the needlework to Dionigi, and the apprentice heard the door shut and the lock slide into place, the lock to the master's necromancy room. The boy sighed, and he picked up the needle. A few weeks later, Maestro Latentio noticed that Dionigi was really kind of terrible at his job. When the boy wasn't sleeping, he was doing subpar seams and stitches that had to be redone. A few months later, it became more profitable to not have the boy work at all, at least, not work as a tailor's apprentice, Dionigi had clearly burned out. He was good with simple projects, but as the work became more complex, he just couldn't handle it. Still, Maestro Latentio didn't want to send him back to his father. Despite the man being cripplingly poor, he was still paying on time for his son to learn a trade. It wasn't Latentio's fault that the boy couldn't learn any trade other than fetching water, building fires, and mucking out stalls. That was no reason for Latentio to not get paid, but the father, it seemed, felt differently. He'd received his son's report cards for months, until they stopped. He'd finally made his way to the tailor shop when he found his brilliant son with a broom in his hand, not a needle. He demanded the truth from the maestro. Latentio shrugged. This was always difficult to hear, but Dionigi, Dionigi was stupid. Maybe the stupidest. Thanks for trying. No refunds, of course. Now get out. Before Dionigi's father could say a single word, they were both out on the street. On the long walk home, Dionigi's father wiped the sweat from his brow. They were in so much debt from Dionigi's training that he had hoped to pay off with his master tailor's son. The father turned questioningly at his boy. Did he remember anything that could help them make some money? Anything at all that could help him pass as a tailor? Dionigi shrugged. Sorry, Pop. He mumbled as they approached the front door. I guess I'm as stupid as Maestro Latitio says. You have a stupid, stupid son on your hands, he grimaced. I'm sorry for your loss. He patted his dad on his shoulder, went to his room, and locked the door behind him. When he at last heard his father's steps descending down the hall, Dianigi laid out the papers on his bed. Looking over the meticulously copied pages, they were all here. He had all of them. For months, he had been learning from Maestro Latentio. Just not how to be a tailor. He had slacked off on his work to buy himself more time around the shop, and he would stay up all night and watch the maestro through the keyhole. And, after the maestro had gone to sleep, he would use the key he had lifted and copied to sneak into the man's necromancy room. There, he had copied all the secret books until dawn. He couldn't risk the maestro finding them, so he'd sewn them into his clothes, which was fortunate, given that he was thrown out with only the clothes on his back. Now, as he reviewed everything, he realized that he knew it. He knew it all. After months of study, practice, and memorization, he knew these books backward and forward, better than even the maestro, 
Dianiji listened to his father's footsteps in the hall and sighed. It was time to go. He'd find passage on a ship to the Italian peninsula and work his way north. He couldn't stay in Sicily and practice magic, not with Maestro Latintio here. He would go, but first, he had to leave his father with something. The next morning, Dianiji's father woke up to a snort outside. He opened the door and found himself looking a gift horse in the mouth. It stood with a note attached, and as soon as he found someone to read it, he learned it read as follows. Dad, sorry to be leaving you in such debt with my stupidity. I have left town forever. Please don't look for me. To settle the debts you owe on my account, please sell the stallion I found and broke in last night to a merchant. Your son who is definitely gone and not still here. Dianiji. Surprised? The father wept for his son. He was grateful for the gift, of course, but in disbelief. Who knew there were wild stallions left to be caught on Sicily? and that his apparently extremely lazy and stupid son was also very good at catching and taming said wild horses. In one night, still, his son was gone, and along with him went any hope of paying off his debts. This horse was his only way out, and so he led it off to market. It wasn't Dianiji's first time as an animal. Later on in his training with the maestro, he would take to the wind on the wings of eagles in the early morning, but it was his first time as a horse. He would spend a night or two as a horse, he decided, and when he was confident, he would take off. He would leave the door to the stables open, and some farm him would be beaten because of it, no doubt, but better a man be beaten than his father starved to death. His father followed the note and earned enough money to pay off his debts and live comfortably for a year or two while he figured everything out. Dianiji could see the man missed his son, but this was the best for both of them. Without Dianiji, his father could live in peace and security, not having to worry about him and his prospects. Besides, there was a whole world beyond their island to discover, and Dianiji now had the means to make it his own. With one final look at his father sitting joyfully at the table, counting his gold, Dianiji the horse let himself be led away by some merchant up to his mountain villa. Dianiji was to be a horse for one of the merchant's carriages, but the man was apparently a recluse. Dianiji spent the first two days in his stall, visited only by the occasional farmhand. After day three, he looked to the doors and knew it was time. He focused his thoughts, called the spell from his memory, and turned back. Or he meant to. But when he opened his eyes, he was still a horse. Again, he closed his eyes and found the page from his memory. He had a photographic memory. Quickly, he reviewed the page. Huh, yeah, that was exactly what he thought it was. Maybe there was a hiccup in the way he recited it. Okay, time to try again. He closed his eyes a third time, and that's when he heard a slow clap. When he opened them again, the merchant was standing in front of him with a smile on his face. Very nice, very nice. So he was smart enough to just appear stupid. The horse backed up as the merchant approached. As the merchant did, he morphed. He took his true form, that of Maestro Latintio. The swanky villa changed around him too. He was back, back at the tailor's shop, in the shed behind the storefront. Dioniji neighed in panic. He snorted and tried to speak. Oh, what? 
You wanted to say something? Let me guess. You can explain. Of course you can. You're very smart. So smart that you apparently think I'm an idiot. That I didn't suspect what you were doing. And when you left my service and wow, the next day you were gone and your father had the medieval equivalent of a Ferrari parked outside. Really? You were just gonna leave? How long until the merchant came for Dionigi's father? And how long until the father connected things to the tailor? But he was sure Dionigi had thought all that through, right? Of course he had. Oh, if only he could speak. The tailor laughed. But Dionigi would never speak again. Not if Maestro Latentio had anything to say about it. The horse was left in darkness as Latentio closed the door and barred it from the outside. Three months later, Latentio's daughter opened the door on the emaciated horse. He was scarred, and his most recent wounds from the last beating were not healing quickly. Her father made it clear that he wanted the horse alive, but only just barely. She snuck him whatever food she could, but it wasn't enough. He was dying, slowly. Dianiji shirked away when the daughter reached for his bonds. For the first few weeks of the nightly beatings, Dianiji had fought back. But that led to him being strapped to the walls and the ceilings of the shack, pulled in every direction, never able to sit down. The straps chafed, and the wounds were growing infected. She tried to tell her father as much, but he only responded with a single word. Good. Why was her father doing this to a horse? But then, few things her father did ever made sense to her. She looked down at the horse's moldy, scum-caked water bucket and grimaced. There was no way she was going to give the horse a drink out of that. Looking the poor creature up and down, Latentio's daughter didn't hesitate. She snatched the bridle from the wall, ducked her head out, and she looked both ways. Her father was in town, but you could never be too careful. Sometimes, it felt like the man was everywhere. It was slow going to the riverbank. The knobs in the horse's legs shook, and he struggled with every step until the water's edge. Drink, she urged gently. But the horse didn't need any prompting. Dianiji bent his head down and gulped deeply of the fresh, clean water. And then he found something. He, he was outside of Master Latentio's power. Whatever had dampened his transformation magic back at the house wasn't working anymore. Latentio's daughter didn't quite know what was happening. But what she did know was that the horse had escaped. If her eyes didn't deceive her, he was, briefly, a dirty and naked man that used to work for her father until he plummeted into the running water in the form of a fish. She stood there, alone on the riverbank, an empty bridle in hand. Shaking, she ran to find her father. Is this where it is? What were you thinking? Being kind to a starving, injured animal. Have I taught you nothing? Maestro Latentio barked at his daughter by the riverside, minutes later. If they didn't catch this kid, they'd have to move. Is that what she wanted? To move again and force him to burn down their house to hide the evidence? Dad, but why are you getting naked? The daughter asked her father, turning quickly away. Latentio rolled his eyes. Because they needed to catch the kid. What did he turn into? A minnow? <laughs> Bad move, kid. Alright, back up, honey, and, uh, you know, don't wait up. Also, I'm a secret magician. Bye. With that, her naked father jumped and, 
Before he hit the water, he had transformed into a much bigger, much faster fish, a tuna. The fish dad splashed his stunned daughter before rocketing up the stream. Meanwhile, Dianiji was regretting his choice of a minnow from the moment he chose it. It was the first one that came to mind, and he didn't realize he would need to swim against the current. He was exhausted. Still, he couldn't go back. Not to his town, not to his father, and definitely not to Latentio's shed. The old magician would kill him this time, in addition to throwing his father in for good measure. Dianiji couldn't go to the police in their town. There was only one man with the power to take down Maestro Latentio, the king, and Dianiji had to get there before Latentio did. Now, there was a feeling that a magician got when he was around another shapeshifter, almost like a signal. That's how Maestro Latentio knew that it was Dionigi as the horse in the first place. And that was how Dionigi knew that Latentio was coming for him in the water. Soon, he didn't need the feeling because the massive and powerful tuna was right on his tail, snapping at him. The minnow dodged and dipped from side to side, but the tuna was unrelenting. He could swim for days. That's when, out of the water and the edges of his fish vision, he saw it. He saw something. If it was a fisherman, he would get caught and turn back. If it was an animal, maybe a quick death would be better than whatever Latentio had in mind. And so the minnow broke for the surface and flew. The princess, who had been splashing her feet in the river after the morning in the field, felt a thud in her flower basket. She looked down and her flowers were... What? What had jumped in her basket? She rooted through until she found it. A ruby ring... She looked up and down the river and jumped up from the water when she saw the massive tuna, the one that seemed to be staying in one spot, studying her. It seemed to watch her put the ruby ring on her hand before it took off downstream. After it left, the princess furrowed her brow. Wait, weren't tuna saltwater fish? All through the day and night, the princess, named Violante, studied the ring until, finally, it was bedtime. Her attendants moved silently putting out her candles. Violante had been telling everyone about the beautiful new ring she just found in the river today. Her servant smiled dutifully. Oh, cool. More riches then. Yeah, I mean, they were working on like a penny a day, but it was super cool she found another jeweled ring. So happy for her. Violante grinned with a slight nod before dismissing the servants. She would ring them all if she needed anything. Dianigi waited until the door closed before counting to 300. He could feel the princess touching the ring every so often. It would make things a little easier if she was sleeping, but beggars couldn't be choosers. When he finally hit 300, he took whatever the sentient ring equivalent was to a deep breath and recited the magic words in his mind. In a second, he was laying in the princess's bed, and it was so much worse than he could have ever imagined. He didn't know where his hands would end up as they instantly regrew, but he found them, quote, on the princess's beautiful snowy bosom, and he was also cupping her. His other hand flew to the princess's mouth as he begged her not to scream. Sure, he was a naked man that appeared in her bed, and technically he had sexually assaulted her before he said a word to her, but she really needed to hear him out. He wasn't a bad guy, but there was a bad guy, and he was coming for them. Only the princess could stop him. After a lot of nodding that she would not scream if Dianigi uncovered her mouth, the princess calmed down and she didn't yell, instead whispering to him to get off her bed and stop spooning her. Seriously, she would hear him out, but he needed to be on the other side of the room, and at the moment she suspected anything was off about the story, she would call the palace guards, and he would be thrown into the dungeons. 
To Violante's surprise, the young man, who she learned was named Dianigi, stepped back into the corner of the room, where he stood shivering. She tossed him a blanket, mainly because she felt bad for him, but also because he was super naked, and she heard his story. The princess relit her lamps, and he sat there on the floor, telling her about his father, the tailor, the magic, and the escape. He told her of his fears when he thought he was going to die, and how it was only by the grace of God that he found her basket, and she put him on. He learned all about the princess, too, about the kingdom and her father, how he had been sick for some time, and he was respectful, but urgent, wanting her to marry, so as to cement the peace of the kingdom. The pair talked until the morning light, when the princess heard a stirring outside in the hallway. Her servants would be in soon, to start helping her get ready for the day. She couldn't send for the clothes for a young man, it would be too suspicious. He must change back into the ring. While he lived on her finger, he was safe. Dianiji looked out the window to the rising sun. He could transform into a bird and be over the horizon in minutes. The princess nodded. Sure, he could, but this man, this maestro Latentio, was smart. What's to say he wasn't watching her window all night in the form of an eagle, just waiting for Dianiji to flutter out in the form of a lesser bird? She knew it was a risk that, as a ring, he was trusting her completely with his safety, but it was the only choice she had. She was guarded, and the magician wouldn't be able to get within 10 feet of her in his human form. He would be safe. She would see to it. The boy looked to the window, and then back to the princess. She had trusted him enough not to scream, but could he trust her with his life? He walked over, put his hand in hers, and the blanket fluttered to the ground. When she looked down, a ruby ring sat in her hand. She closed her fingers around it and ran to her father's room. It was a dank, sickly place. It had been for years. The king, being sick for most of his reign, had only a few advisors. They and the king's daughter were the only ones allowed to see the king. Violante braced herself for the smell and the darkness, but found neither. The warm air of the summer morning was wafting through the open window, and the king was sitting up in bed, surrounded by a hearty breakfast. What's going on, Dad? Violante managed. The king beamed. It was over. He was healed. Violante smiled and ran to his side, throwing her arms around him. But how? How, after all this time, had he been healed? I think I can answer that came a voice from behind her. There, emerging from the shadows, appeared a man with short gray hair. The king shared that he had woke up last night to this doctor standing over him, shoving a liquid in his mouth. By morning, he was feeling better than he had felt in a decade. Taylor, the man corrected. I'm a tailor. Well, I guess I could be a doctor too. Yeah, why not? Doctor. It's the Middle Ages. Anything goes. Violante asked the man's name, and he smiled. Why? He was Maestro Latentio. The princess allowed herself a small gasp and stepped back as she slid the ring into one of her pockets on her dress. The king turned to the tailor slash magician slash doctor and asked him what he would like. As the edict said, anyone that could heal the king could ask anything of the king. And if it was in his power to give it, the healer would have it. Maestro Latentio turned to the princess. Anything? The king devouring his third quiche and not picking up on the subtext of the question, nodded. Yep, anything. The tailor looked the princess up and down, and then he asked her, where was it? 
Violante shook her head. Where was what? Maestro Latentillo huffed. Excellent. So he had talked. The tailor turned to the king. Yesterday, when the beautiful princess here was sitting by the river, she had found a ring. It was a gold ring with a large ruby in it. And it was very precious to Maestro Latentillo. He wanted it back. And that was all. Since he had healed the king, he could ask for half the gold in the kingdom if he wanted to, but he only wanted that ring. His ring. It was only reasonable. The king agreed. It was reasonable. He turned to his daughter, gesturing to the tailor. Give the man his ring. Violante said she didn't have it with her. It was back in her room. She'd just go get it. We'll go with you, Maestro Latentillo said, and the king nodded. The princess bowed and broke off into a run. Latentillo chased after her and made it to her room just in time for the door to slam in his face. The bar slid into place on the other side as it locked. The old tailor stood back, seething. It was fine, he told himself. The king was on his side, and as soon as the door opened, the ring would be his. Two of the guards actually had to get a battering ram before they heard the princess give up and slide the lock away. She opened the door and stepped back, tears streaking her face. She gripped the ring in her hand, asking if this is what the man wanted. Latentio nodded. Yes. Yes, he would very much like that. Please give it to him. The princess sneered. Here. She threw the ring against the wall, and when it hit, it exploded. It was no longer a ring, but a pomegranate, and when it hit the wall, it flew into a hundred pieces. The fruit splattered everywhere, the seeds flying across the room. The magician laughed. Nice try. He transformed into a chicken and went after each of the seeds, one by one, all while the princess screamed at him to stop. She swatted at him, but he dipped and ducked. Soon, it was done. The pomegranate was little more than scraps, and the chicken had eaten the rest of the seeds. Except, in his haste to eat all of them, he hadn't. He hadn't seen that, as the princess swatted at him, she stepped on one of the seeds. And, when he went for another, she kicked the seed into the shadows. Maestro Latentio didn't see the fox's eyes from the shadows until it was too late. Dionigi lunged at his former master, took him by his little chicken neck, and bit. Hard. Maestro Latentio was dead. It was over. It was finally over. In an instant, Dionigi changed back. He looked up to the king. He was naked on the princess's floor. The king was wide-eyed and kicked Dionigi a blanket. What was all this? Dionigi spit his chicken boss from his mouth and introduced himself. He was Dionigi, the tailor's apprentice. I'm sorry, what? You're a visiting prince? The king asked, putting his finger in his ear. No, I'm a, well, failed tailor's apprentice and a magician. Dianiji said, wrapping the blanket around himself tighter. I, I must be tired from not having walked this much in a decade, the king replied. You say you're a prince from a faraway land who came to seek my daughter's hand in marriage after killing a dangerous magician, didn't you? Dianiji was about to reply in the negative, again, but he saw the king's nodding head. Yeah, that's right. There you go. Take the hint. Dianiji stopped talking. The king turned to Violante, the princess. There was a lot for him to catch up on, but the pair seemed to know each other and worked together to fight a powerful wizard. Is this something she would be interested in? The princess smiled and nodded. The king stuck out his hand 
and helped Dianiji to his feet. Good. They'd find him some clothes and make the announcement that morning. Oh, hey, the king said, stopping Dianiji and pointing to his own mouth. You, you have a little... Dianiji's eyes widened and he brushed the feathers away from his mouth. Oh, thank you so much. So yeah, they got married and lived happily ever after. I personally didn't originally like the ending, where DNEG just quickly killed Meister Latentio in his chicken form. But Carissa, the editor, talked to me about it, and I came around. I personally would have had it where the princess saved a seed and planted it. And then, like, a year or two later, Dionigi meets the magician at his house, Latentio thinking that he was long dead. Dionigi uses that opportunity to take care of the wizard once and for all but this was really the only way it could all work. Latentio was a powerful wizard, way more powerful than Dianiji, and the only way to best him is to catch him at the moment of his arrogance, when he thinks he's won, when he's still a chicken, with a few positives and many negatives that that entails. That's it for this week. Next week, we're actually back in the Arthurian Legends for a quick standalone episode of a time when Gawain and Kay went to a castle, owned by some guy named Carl. So, in lieu of other stuff... I just want to say that I did the intro this week for an episode of Hello from the Magic Tavern, one of my favorite podcasts. If you haven't listened to the show before, it's a pretty serious documentary podcast by this guy who fell through a portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical, fantastical land of Foon. And I'm on a pretty good authority that he's still getting a slight Wi-Fi signal from the Burger King through the dimensional rift, and he uses it to upload a podcast each week. It's definitely a serious podcast filled with serious people and mythological creatures. Definitely not an awesome cast hilariously improvising every episode. But yeah, if you want to check out this Lost Myths and Legends episode, you can go to hellofromthemagictavern.com or just search for Hello from the Magic Tavern wherever you get your podcasts. The creature this week is the Mamalambo from the folklore of Africa. So, loneliness is tough. And it's especially tough when you're a witch who through no fault of your own, is relentlessly feared and hunted. It's really hard to start dating in that situation, but if you can't find someone to be with, you can always make someone to be with. You do that by putting a root, twig, and, quote, something like a fish in a bottle. In time, the objects will come together and come to life. At first, it will just glow in the bottle, but soon it will transform into a large, hairy snake with big fangs and eyes that twinkle like diamonds. When that happens, let it go in the river, and watch your future lover grow up. By day, it will swim around in the swamp in its snake form. But by night, well, they're all yours. They'll transform into a person with stark white skin and silver hair as it rises from the water. Now, if you think entering into a physical relationship with a creature that you made with twigs and fish is a bad idea, you're probably right. Anything that literally transforms into a snake makes a pretty poor life partner. That's probably a safe rule to live by. The Mamalambo is extremely possessive and won't tolerate a witch to have a traditional relationship with a human or allow them to marry and have children. On the plus side, the Mamalambo will make regular offerings to its creator slash lover, and some witches have become fabulously wealthy because of it. The downside? The Mamalambo requires regular sacrifices of their own, of beef, chicken, or further lengthening the alienation between the witch and the nearby villages, human blood. If the witch can't keep that food or human blood flowing, the Mambalambo will kill them. Look, I understand it's not easy being green and warty, 
but it's also a really bad idea to start dating a snake that you made in your basement that will kill you if you stop bringing it cheeseburgers. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. And there are links to even more music in the show notes. All right, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. 